Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Glad you're back with us and... Isn't it wonderful that it is Friday? A lot to talk about during the course of the broadcast today. Hope we are able to get to all of it. You heard in the news about a first-time method for execution. This one is really weird to me. I'm still trying to figure this out as to why we're trying these new methods. Just as a preview, one of the things that went through my mind And I'm just thinking out loud, and maybe somebody can help me with this. Maybe it's more simple than I'm making it out to be. But I think of when you have a pet, a dog, cat, that's kind of reached the end of its road, and you want the dog or cat to humanely pass into the hereafter, all you have to do is take it to your vet, and they put the dog to sleep. Just like that. It's really simple. My question is, why can it be that simple for an execution? I mean, is our goal to make the person put the person in pain? I I don't quite understand this. If you have some insight to share in this, I would certainly appreciate that. We will talk about what happened in Alabama and get your thoughts about it. We have an ongoing battle going between the state of Texas and the federal government, specifically the Biden administration, which refuses to enforce our border. That's really the bottom line. And those who expected and perhaps hoped the Supreme Court would side with Texas, like myself, were certainly disappointed by the Supreme Court decision, which gave the feds the authority to go in and take down the razor wire that was put up by the state of Texas. What really blows my mind here? How in the world does this border method, whatever it is they were trying to do, how does this keep these Border Patrol agents from doing their job? In fact, I want to hear a border agent tell me this interfered with them doing their job. This is not basically about the border agents. Let's get real. This is about the politicians who are determined... They do not want this border enforced, period. So they want the ability to be able to not enforce the border. That's what it comes down to. And if anybody dare tries to circumvent the federal government and its treachery in this area, well, they're going to go to court. We'll talk about this a little later on in what the state of Texas is attempting to do. A U.N. court has come out with an order for Israel allegedly to prevent genocide in Gaza. We'll tell you what this amounts to. I believe the RNC has since stepped back from what they were attempting to do, but all but declare that Donald Trump is their presumptive nominee Obviously, Nikki Haley is not thrilled about this. Also, Donald Trump already 
floating the idea of voter fraud as a possible reason he could lose. We will delve into that. Tim Scott is out with reaction to the widespread criticism he's received in recent days. Can I just tell you, I was watching the interview where he's reacting to the things we shared on this broadcast. In fact, we're going to hear from Tim Scott. We're going to share the clip from Sean Hannity's show. And it reminds me why I don't watch Sean Hannity or listen to his show anymore. This man has no conscience or soul left. The softball questions given to Tim Scott and everything is about the liberals, the liberals, this, the liberals, that, you know, if we actually did, if we had people who are genuine conservatives who actually did what they were supposed to, a good part of the time we wouldn't be complaining about the liberals, but we need to do much more self-examination. Anyway, I'll tell you why I'm underwhelmed by Tim Scott's reaction and the question I believe Sean Hannity should have asked, but won't, because we know where Sean Hannity's head is. And we've got Panthers talk. A new GM, a new head coach. Do we have reason to be encouraged? In Faith Focus Friday, we will talk about the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S now characterized as the largest single group in the U.S., religiously speaking. We'll tell you what this means, and I'll have some thoughts about the whys and wherefores. I want to begin right here in our community. And I don't have an answer for this. I don't talk about this very much, and one of the reasons why I don't is because I became weary of covering this as a news anchor and reporter. I, this doesn't mean I want to bury my head in the sand. I, I want to be involved in some redemptive way. I'd love to figure out how to do that. But we've got a crime problem in the city. Charlotte Observer headline on this story, Juvenile and Two Adults Found Shot in South Charlotte Apartment Community. The three remain hospitalized with serious injuries. Lake missed apartments where this happened off Old Pineville Road, south of Archdale. One adult male victim, one adult female, one juvenile female, all with gunshot wounds. We don't know anything about a suspect or a motive. And police are looking for information on this. If you happen to have any, certainly the police department would appreciate your calls, 704-432-TIPS or Crime Stoppers, 704-334-1600. How do we get these crime issues under control? We don't know what this one is about, the whys and wherefores. Um, but we do know this is an ongoing issue, a very important quality of life issue that it would be very helpful for us to get a grip on so we do not become like other cities. 
that are certainly worse than Charlotte. Charlotte's not the worst, but it's not something that we want to ignore in any way and assume that our quality of life in this area is not beyond getting to a point where it's out of control. Case in point, Chicago. Nobody wants that. Your thoughts, welcome on this and other areas. Coming up, we'll also talk about an economic challenge here in the city of Charlotte. This is one of the things that is probably part and parcel of federal policy with attempts to get the economy under control. The Fed raising interest rates, at least for a season. We'll talk about how that's impacting the Charlotte region and much more as we continue our Friday broadcast. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, I started off talking about quality life issues as it relates to crime. And I think, and I've said before, I think in many ways here in the Charlotte area, many of us kind of see crime as something removed from us. I mean, I'll be straightforward with you on this. When I think of crime, I think right now, for instance, I am closer to some of the areas where we've been concerned about crime happening in the city of Charlotte than I have been for many years. I mean, way up in Highland Creek area where I lived. Didn't have many issues up there. The story I share with you about the shooting, just a few miles, short miles from where I live now in South Charlotte. And yet still, I think we think of these things as being removed from us. And I think many times they are circumstantially because, uh, and I remember we had a police chief who said, basically, if you don't engage in certain behaviors, and I think largely he was talking about drugs, other types of crime that you, and stay away from certain areas, uh, it was very unlikely you would have an experience with crime. And I think that's still largely true here in the city of Charlotte. But we certainly do not want to take this issue for granted and assume that we are out of the reach of some of these things. We are also watching what's going on economically. We heard in recent days about the possibility of the Fed cutting rates this year after a policy of raising them. And this could have an impact on the story I'm about to share with you. The Observer reporting home sales around the Charlotte region continued a big slide in 2023. For the second consecutive year, single-family home sales fell in the Charlotte region. 17.3% drop compared to 2022. 17.3%. Forty one thousand five hundred forty six closings last year 
8,676 less than the prior year for the 16-county region. 15% decrease in home sales from 21 to 22. Home sales increased by 8.2% between 2020 and 21. Year-end data shows that the home buyers paid more for houses last year with the median sales price 377.5. That's just under a percentage point decrease. About $2,500 in the region. For the year, local real estate experts say they're expecting to face the challenge of working in a housing market with more demand than available homes. Interest rates will start to tick down. Concerns involve developers not building enough houses to keep up with the population growth and homeowners not willing to put their homes up for sale. I'll just tell you from experience. Once it became evident that there was any possibility of selling the home, I mean, I had people calling, texting, I mean, just constantly. It was crazy. And the reason is the inventory. They just did not have the inventory. And this is why, uh, especially, you've got a lot of people out there, especially investors, who are looking to buy these houses. And in some cases, they're looking to flip the homes, to buy the homes, fix them up, and then resell them. But of course, they want to make sure they're going to get a great return on these houses. Data for the Charlotte region listed 48,741 homes on the market. That's a 15.7% decrease from 2022. Buyers and sellers are motivated by changing mortgage rates, which declined from November through December, and fourth quarter sales activity. Last year's sales activity hampered by rates, which increased throughout the year. But again, with the falling rates, there may be a change here. Here in Mecklenburg County, County sales decreased by 20% last year. 20%. Cabarrus County, 18.4% drop. Gaston County, 15.1% drop. You get the idea. Iredell, down by 1002 Kind of curious about your home situation as to whether you will be in the market, whether you're already in the market, what your experience might have been for the past year, whether anything has changed, and your thoughts, your sense of optimism or concern about the future. Uh, I think I described before, uh, in my case, it was uh, an issue simply of downsizing. Uh, I had a a really good conversation with someone else about this just a few weeks ago where we were just talking about, you know, once kids move on, um, I don't need a five-bedroom house. It's just not much of a need for that with all of the upkeep and uh, just keep it simple. I mean, that's really how I choose to approach things. And... Uh, frankly, it's been a relief on so, so many levels uh, just to have the simplicity of of smaller, 
Smaller is certainly good. So uh, we'll see how that pays off in other ways here in the coming days. Still to come on the broadcast, on the local front, we're going to talk about the Carolina Panthers and a couple of big changes. We now have at least the top of the team squared away. What is going to be the impact on the team? Will there be something for people here in this particular region to be proud of? At least a little bit. (laughs) A greater sense of pride here in 2024. Is there reason for optimism? We'll have that conversation coming up in just a few minutes. Also, delve into things going on in the world stage. We mentioned nationally the execution in Alabama, the first of its kind. Also, the battle between Texas and the Biden administration. And a new ruling from the U.N., a court telling Israel what they need to do in their ongoing war with Hamas. That and much more as we continue our Friday broadcast of the Vince Coakley Radio Program. Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program, 36 minutes after 10 o'clock. Talking about the uh, crime situation in Charlotte, one of the things touched on in the first couple of segments. Uh, we still have Dave with us on the line, wanted to talk about that. Good morning, Dave, and welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Vince. Thank you. Literally a timely topic. I uh, was just at a grocery store off Tivola Road, and I saw this uh, guy uh, attack. This uh, lady grabbed her groceries, all her grapes and other groceries spilt oh. over the floor, and then he, Goodness. he ran off. She was in tears. Um, the guard at the store came out and uh, sort of chased him off. He supposedly lives behind the store. But it's just, you're saying it was, it's uh, sort of away from us. Well, this is, you know, five minutes from South Park. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, not, it's not good. It's not good. And when you see, you see, you know, physical altercations like that, it, it's really upsetting. Oh, I, I can imagine. That's got to be kind of surreal. You're, 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 you're kind of there thinking, is this really happening right in front of me? You know, oh, yeah. it's yeah, and he went to other people in the car park at the same time, and then when I approached him, which I probably shouldn't have been, I said, "You don't go attacking women." He he sort of turned at me and scowled at me and ran off towards at the back of the store, you know, in, outside the store. But wow. it, it's um, it, it's close by. You, you think you're in a safe safe area, and uh, it can happen anywhere. I hear you. Hey, very much appreciate your call, and thank you for, hey, thanks for speaking up and uh, in that kind well, of situation. Topic. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, for your, thanks, thanks for your broadcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Love that guy's accent. That's kind of cool. I love accents. Always enjoy those. Uh, you know, uh, and on related subjects, since we've already gone here, I, I mentioned the fact that I moved. Um. I don't want to say too much other than saying that one of the grocery stores I went to that I go to now actually has locks on their grocery carts. I tried yesterday to use one of the grocery carts outside. I thought, great, here's a cart. I'll just take it in. Things locked. 
So I left that alone, walked in the store, got another cart. That one was locked. And I asked the person in the checkout, is this thing locked for a reason? She's like, I don't, I don't know. And I looked down and saw all of them had locks on them. I thought, where in the world have I moved to? <laughs> it's like, and, and the strangest thing is, uh, there are... Uh, Huh. The uh, other grocery store that I go to, I mean, it's nothing like this at all. Nothing like it at all. It's, it's a total culture difference between those two places. But that one, it just hit me yesterday. I was like, wow. This is not what I experienced in my old grocery store. So, I don't know. It's an interesting um, season of life for sure with the concerns about crime that seem to be increasing rather than decreasing. You heard in the news about the execution in Alabama. Alabama executed a convicted murderer with nitrogen gas, putting him to death with the first of its kind method that once again placed the U.S. at the forefront of the debate over capital punishment. The state said the method would be humane, but critics called it cruel and experimental. Kenneth Eugene Smith was his name, 58 years old, pronounced dead, 8.25 p.m. at an Alabama prison after breathing pure nitrogen gas through a face mask to cause oxygen deprivation. First time a new execution method's been used in the U.S. since lethal injection. Now the most commonly used method that was introduced back in 1982. See, this is the part that I, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I'm, um, oh goodness, this, this sends chills down my spine. I'm not anti capital punishment at all. But I'll tell you what, this sentence really, really caused me to pause for a moment. This execution took 22 minutes from the time between the opening and closing of the curtains to the viewing room. Smith appeared to remain conscious for several minutes. For at least two minutes, he appeared to shake and writhe on the gurney, sometimes pulling against the restraints followed by several minutes of heavy breathing until breathing was no longer perceptible. In a final statement, Smith said, Tonight, Alabama causes humanity to take a step backwards. I'm leaving with love, peace, and light. He made the I love you sign with his hands toward family members who were witnesses. Thank you for supporting me. Love, love all of you, Smith said. And we would not be fully addressing the story without talking about the victim. 45-year-old Elizabeth Sennett, killed back in 1988. It was a murder for hire. Murder for hire. And I don't know what the circumstances of that killing were. But this is the other frustration for me, a person who believes in capital punishment. Why in the world this happened 1988 and this person's just now executed? It's crazy. 
Kay Ivey, who's the governor of Alabama, said after more than 30 years, an attempt after attempt to game the system, Mr. Smith has answered for his horrendous crimes. I pray Elizabeth Sennett's family can receive closure after all these years dealing with that great loss. Mike Sennett, the victim's son, said Smith had been incarcerated almost twice as long as I knew my mom. See, that, that bothers me. Why? Why does this linger? Any case, love to get your thoughts on this new process, nitrogen gas. Is this inhumane? And some would raise the question, does it really matter? Does it really matter at all? A lot more to come on the broadcast, including our discussion about what is ahead for the Carolina Panthers. New management in place. The upper end of the team now in place. The question is, will it make a difference for the better? That conversation straight ahead. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, I, I want to reply to Jabril before we go to our next subject here. He was talking about the grocery store, and he was thinking this was Aldi. No, I'm familiar with Aldi, and I know their policy as far as putting a quarter in and getting your cart. This is not the same thing. This is a lock at the bottom of the wheels on the cart that keeps the thing from moving. And I know it's designed to keep people from stealing carts, which, oh boy, which is another subject altogether. Let's talk about what's going on with the Carolina Panthers. A few days ago, we got the news. The Panthers hired Dan Morgan's new general manager, president of football operations, Dan Morgan. And then the most recent news, the hiring of Dave Canales, the next head coach. And it's pretty interesting, the headline, the way it's portrayed by Cat Crave online. A very... Uh, I don't think a very glaring example of support this characterized as a glaring sign of underwhelming times. Wow. That's a pretty interesting characterization. And the Charlotte Observer says this, the Panthers have their coach in Canales. Now it's time for Tepper to take a back seat. Is that fantasy to think that that's going to happen? Here to provide some perspective on all of this, our good friend Chris McLean, Mac from the Mac and Bone Show. Uh, welcome back, sir. Are, are we talking extreme fantasy here? The idea that that <laughs> Dave Tepper is going to take a back seat to anybody? Yeah, I feel like I, f- I feel like that's right up there with me taking the trash out before, well, well, one of these weeks without my wife reminding me first. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we can hope that it happens at some point, but I wouldn't bet on it. I don't know, Vince. Like, I'm usually an optimistic Panther fan, so it has not been a fun few years for me. You know what I mean? I've, I've kind of lost that uh, love and feeling in regards to the Panthers. I would hope at some point someone as smart as he is that's been so successful in another line of work would figure out, okay, I don't know as much as I do here in football. Maybe I need to, you know, maybe there's another way to do this. I would hope he would, 
but I would not be betting anything on it. So we're going to have to wait and see. I do think the hire of Canales is interesting in that he and Dan Morgan have a relationship, you know, that goes back to their days together in Seattle. Dan was in the front office there, and Canales was an uh, assistant coach under Pete Carroll there, and they worked together for eight years. So this is clearly somebody that that feels like a Dan Morgan hire, someone Dan Morgan would want to hire. So does that mean that David Tepper kind of went with what Dan Morgan wanted, like trusted one of his football execs? Like that would feel like a new thing. So maybe if you if you're looking for some sort of silver lining, maybe that is it. But obviously, we got a lot. You know, there's a lot that has to be done before you know before we get back to winning around here. This is just the start of it. And again, for someone who is uh, very much a novice, uh, a person who is not savvy uh, as it relates to football and and how all of this works. How does this work down to the team level? So you've made these big changes at the top. Uh, what does it look like below, and how long does it take to see whatever culture that's developed here work its way to the team and what actually happens out on the field? First of all, Vince, don't feel bad about not being football savvy. Apparently no one over there at the stadium has been for a while either. Ouch. All right, so, <laughs> so wow. you're, you're not alone. And i got to be honest, I, I tried to. I'm not there we go. Thank you. I felt like I earned that. I tried to myself. I'm not sure I am either. I got my ideas. I don't think are good either. As far as you know, as far as how long it takes this process. Listen, I will say this about the NFL as compared to say the NBA. You know, where where the Hornets. You know, it feels like we're in a perpetual rebuild themselves. The NFL is a sport. And we, heck, we saw it in Carolina with John Fox pretty quick, right? One win, Foxy takes over in his second year, they're in the Super Bowl. This is a sport where you can turn things around quick. This is a division, by the way, that the last two years has taken, you know, mediocrity to win it. You know, eight or nine wins the last two years have won it for Tampa. Uh, With that said, though, it's all about what Dan Morgan does from a personnel standpoint on offense. Last year, uh, then GM Scott Fitterer could not have had a worse offseason. Um, everything he tried to do, short of adding Adam Thielen. That was the one thing I think that worked to help Bryce. But every other move that he tried to make to help Bryce Young and give him weapons completely backfired. Dan Morgan's going to have to do the complete opposite of that because they're going to need to bring a whole new group of weapons. There's an offense, There's offensive line assistance and additions that are going to need to be made too. So look at the additions, whether it's free agency, whether it's a draft, and of course we don't have a first-round pick because of the Bryce Young trade, but they've got to knock it out of the park with these free agent and draft additions on the offensive side of the ball. And, and maybe in all reality, maybe it, it can't be done. You know, maybe the offensive personnel can't be fixed in one offseason. Maybe it takes a couple, you know. What's the uh, reaction you've seen thus far in the conversations you're having with fans? It's interesting. I, there's Listen, as you would expect, after this six straight losing seasons under David Tepper, there are a ton of fans that basically say, I don't really care who the heck they hired. David Tepper did the hiring, you know, and I'm just not going to believe it until I see it that he is that, that he has made a good hire. And and to that, to fans like that, I you know, you've got his, you know, you've got a short bit of history on your side. I can't refute that. I have those fears too as a Panther fan. I do think uh, when you go to the national media, though, like we were playing a lot of clips on the show today of different na- analysts nationally, and they are way more positive. They are preaching how good Dave Canales can be as a coach for Bryce Young. Dave Canales, and just, just, just look at his last two years of his career, um, took Geno Smith to a career year in the Comeback Player of the Year Award as his quarterback coach in Seattle. Uh, you know, And then this past year, 
Baker Mayfield put up the best stats of his career in numerous categories, and Panther fans know just how bad Baker Mayfield looked here. He's a finalist for Comeback Player of the Year wow. for his year in Tampa with Dave Canales as his offensive coordinator. So that's the one thing. Like In terms of hiring somebody that can get a quarterback to improve quickly, now those guys were veterans. You know, Bryce is only going to be in his second year. But this feels like a very Bryce Young-friendly hire. And that's something, you know, do we know if he has the leadership goods to run a whole organization and all that? We're going to have to wait and see. But just in terms of the best hire you can make for Bryce Young, this is certainly one of them, I would think. That's certainly a good thing. Uh, Let me ask you this uh, as a final question. Uh, If you were to think of a time period, uh, at, at what point do you think you'll be able to see I guess, some semblance of change. When is that going to show up for the first time? Well, again, I would look, look to the offseason and see in terms of what they add uh, on offense. You know, um, uh, you know, does it seem like they are, you know, they've got to find a way. They have kind of middle-of-the-road salary cap money, so they might need to, you know, restructure some contracts, uh, cut some people to get, or get some more cap money to spend in free agency. The draft, I mean, those picks on the second day, second, third round are going to be a premium because we don't have a first-round pick. But that's the first thing you can look at is what's the personnel they're added. Actually, I'll be honest, sooner than that, look at Ajiro Overo. Um, the defensive coordinator did an amazing job with a really wounded unit this year and had the Panthers fourth in total defense despite getting r- really no help from the offense. If they're able to retain him and keep him on board as defensive coordinator, and that's something that should shake out here in the next few days, Like that, that's a hu- I think that's a huge sign right there because then you've got Canales focusing on the offense, You've got a Vero kind of focusing on the defense. Then I think you're off and running. And then it goes to what do they do in free agency and in the draft. And hopefully we will get a sense of optimism coming out of Mac. And that'll be an indication that uh, maybe we can dare to hope again. What do you think? Every summer, Vince. Every summer. Last year I was, we were, I was driving what I called the 10-win express, Vince. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, we did not get to 10 wins. <laughs> <laughs> 10 win Express is on the oh side of the goodness. road right now, broken down. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining us, Mac. Have a Anytime. great weekend. Be good. Hour number two of the Vince Coakley radio program straight ahead. Hour number two of the Vince Coakley radio program. Before I go into anything, I want to just acknowledge something I was just thinking or reflecting on today. How many of you are affected by seasons? I mean, I, I know there's this thing called uh, seasonal, what is it, seasonal affective disorder or affected disorder, something like that. And this dreary weather just really weighs on me for some reason and i'm at a point where i'm really craving sunshine now what i do about that if anything who knows how many of you are feeling that i've definitely been feeling that the past few days as we've had this cloud cover and rain just dreariness weighing on so so much nonetheless We uh, soldier on on this broadcast. (laughs) Let's jump into Faith Focus Friday, shall we? Maybe that will be helpful. Well, it's supposed to be. (laughs) My good friend Jose posted this on his social media page the other day. 
And I, man, this goes to the core of so much. And this will tie into our next story, which we've been talking about in different forms for quite some time. Jose says the problem is religion taught us that being spiritual was separate from being human. Christ's lifestyle has no secular. Man, this is something needs to be shouted from the rooftops. We've had this secular, sacred divide that's been promoted for so long. You know, you've got your religious and then you've got your non-religious. You know, this is secular, secular, this is sacred. You know, and, and the point Jose is making is, if you are in the kingdom, everything is sacred. At least it should be. Everything is part of your offering. I, I, one of my favorite scriptures is Romans 12.1. And one translation of that is that uh, we recognize that our lives are an act of spiritual worship. We don't go, and, and again, I'm not attacking anything. I want to make this very clear. Our lives should not be characterized by or minimized or defined on this low level of going to worship. Our lives are an act of worship, a singular act of worship. So even the most mundane things are acts of worship. If you were at home right now, you are a housewife and you are doing dishes and doing laundry, that's an act of worship. If you're in the highest corporate boardroom, if you are in the kingdom, it's an act of worship. And I think the thing that you have to understand is at the foot of the cross, those things are all level. There's no level of importance or, and, uh, you know, Sunday morning from 11 to 12 is not more important than Monday morning from 11 to 12. This is why, I, for me, I don't put a lot of emphasis on days and dates and other things like that. It's all an act of worship. Which is a good lead into a story done by none other than NPR. Clearly intrigued by this trend that's been going on. And we've talked about it on this program in one sense. This is not new, but I think... The figures are the headline in NPR is religious nuns are now the largest single group in the U.S. None as in N-O-N-E-S. When Americans are asked to check a box indicating their religious affiliation, 28% now check none. A new study from Pew Research finds the religiously unaffiliated, a group compi comprised of atheists, agnostic, and those who say their religion is nothing in particular, is now the largest cohort in the U.S. They're more prevalent among American adults, adults than Catholics or evangelical Protestants. They're at 28, Catholics at 23, evangelical Protestants at 24. Back in 2007, nuns made up just 16% of Americans, but Pew's new survey of more than 3,300 U.S. adults show that number has now risen dramatically. The nuns. Pew asked respondents what, if anything, they believe. The research organization found that nuns are not a uniform group. 
most nuns believe in God or another higher power. Very few attend any kind of religious service. They aren't all anti-religious. Most nuns say religion does some harm, but also think it does some good. Most have more positive views of science than those who are religiously affiliated. However, they reject the idea that science can explain everything. Well, that's comforting. Gregory Smith at Pew was the lead researcher on the study, titled Religious Nuns in America, Who They Are and What They Believe. He says the growth of nuns could affect American public life. We know politically, for example, religious nuns are very distinctive. They're among the most strongly and consistently liberal and democratic constituencies in the U.S. That's intriguing. And that could change electoral politics in the coming decades. The political power of white evangelicals has been well reported in recent decades, but their numbers are shrinking while the number of the more liberal nuns is on the rise. However, Smith points out nuns are also less civically engaged than those who identify with the religion. They're less likely to vote. So while they identify as Democrats, getting them to the polls on Election Day may prove to be a challenge. Within the nuns, however, atheists and agnostics are more likely to be politically and civically engaged, whereas those who responded that their religion is nothing in particular are far less likely to vote. Hmm. Pew also found that overall, nuns are less likely to volunteer in their local communities than religiously affiliated adults. Beyond their numbers and their behaviors, Pew also asked respondents what they actually believe. They found nuns are less satisfied with their local communities, less satisfied with their social lives than religious people. Can I just suggest something here? I think what we're seeing is the growth of nihilism. In other words, people who find no meaning in life whatsoever and therefore see no motivation to do anything. You notice they're not motivated to vote, not motivated religiously. I think and I would characterize this as a deadening of our society. There's another part of this that I will touch on after the break. But I think this is significant. That we have more and more people in this country who are embracing nothing. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back on the Vince Coakley radio program, we're talking about a new study, this one from Pew Research, indicating... The largest single group spiritually are people characterized as nuns. And before we take your calls, one of the things I want to finish talking about in this particular study, while many people of faith say they rely on scripture, tradition, and the guidance of religious leaders to make moral decisions, Pew found that nuns say they're guided by logic or reason when making moral decisions. 
In huge numbers say the desire to avoid hurting other people factors prominently in how they think about right and wrong. People of faith also say they use logic and the avoidance of harm to make decisions. Those factors are in concert with religious tradition and scripture. Demographically, nuns also stand out from the religiously affiliated. Nuns are young. 69% are under the age of 50. They're also less racially diverse. 63% of nuns are white. Similar studies by Pew and other groups found that people of color are far more likely to say religion is important in their lives. But Smith says to keep in mind the nuns are comprised of three distinct groups, atheists, agnostics, and those who describe themselves as nothing in particular. Nuns who describe themselves are likely, more likely to be white if they are identifying as atheist or agnostic. People describe their religion as nothing in particular, more likely to be black or Hispanic or Asian. At first glance, nuns appear to be evenly divided by gender, but digging deeper into the data, men are significantly more likely to say they are atheist or agnostic, whereas women more likely to describe their religion as nothing in particular. That's consistent with other research showing women tend to be more religious on average than men. I'm just going to add one item to this because this story covers the non-spiritual angle of this, the people who've embraced nothing. There are also a large number of Christian believers who have exited systems and religious identities who have very vibrant Christian lives apart from religious systems. They also fit into this group called the nuns, but their numbers are not as large as the ones described here. So I thought it was important to point that out because NPR did not touch on that subject at all. I believe Robert was on the line and eager to talk about this particular subject. Uh, Robert is gone. Feel free to call back if you'd like to comment about this. But I think uh, just to add to what I said, it's very evident to me that those of us who call ourselves Christians, Christ followers, we're going to have to live something very different in this generation than what we have lived before. I talk about these things all the time in this broadcast. In other words, it's got to be something much more relational, much less focused on, on planned events, much more organic, and much more driven by individual choices and behavior. And, and by that, I'm not talking about subjectively just being selfish. That's not what I'm talking about. But I think the days of looking for Billy Graham or this religious leader or this crusade or this altar call or this big event concert, I think those days are over in terms of the expansion of uh, of, of people embracing the gospel. I think those days are over. 
there's got to be something very different that reaches this younger generation. And there's, uh, it's got to come down to a relational connection. If that doesn't happen, I don't think there will be much change here. We'll continue to see what, frankly, is a secularization, further secularization of society and a society of people who believe in less and less of substance and, frankly, have less and less hope. That's my view anyway. Earlier, we uh, also talked about executions. I know this is a controversial subject among Christians. Um, Do we still have Chris on the line wanting to talk about the execution that took place in Alabama? Uh, Good morning, Chris. Uh, Welcome to the broadcast. Hello, Vince. How are you doing today? Right, sir. Um. Basically, I think that, and I firmly believe that using nitrogen gas is humane, very humane, because as you are sitting there breathing right now, 70% of what you're breathing is nitrogen. 70% of the Earth's atmosphere is nitrogen. So basically, when you just simply remove the oxygen and carbon dioxide and anything else, you're still breathing air. You have no, it's not like you're smelling something or breathing something that's going to hurt you at all. You just, um, give me, give me an example. There was a father and son team that were welders and they were working in a vessel that was, um, like a tank that they had, they had to climb down into and a ladder that was sealed at the bottom. They were using argon gas with TIG welding. Now, argon gas is heavier than air. And they should have known this, but evidently they didn't. But as they were down there welding, the argon coming out of their welding out of their welding torches was displacing the air, pushing the rest of the breathable air up out of the tank. And they eventually just both fell asleep and then died because they ran out of oxygen. But had they been in pain, they would have climbed out. But all they did was fall asleep, and nitrogen should do the same thing. You'll simply just lose consciousness fall asleep, and you'll still be breathing until the body just expires because of lack, lack of oxygen. So it should be painless. So from your perspective here, this is very much humane. Yes, because like I said, 70% of what you are breathing right now is nitrogen. I mean, you're not in pain breathing right now, so yes, I, I, I think this is a non-issue. I think the people objecting about this are just the people that are just against uh capital punishment altogether okay okay well i very much appreciate your perspective thanks for your call there chris it'll be interesting to see the other side of this will we see other states start to move in this same direction because uh you know this has been a controversial subject in recent years to the point where a lot of states have not done executions at all and you've got people basically sitting on death row with no appointment date whatsoever uh, because this is an issue that still has to be resolved. Love to get your thoughts as we continue the broadcast. Still ahead, we'll talk about the border battle between Texas and the federal government, and the U.N. steps in to try to stop Israel from part of its military campaign. Back on the Vince Coakley Radio Program, we have Robert on the line wanting to talk about our discussion about nuns earlier. Good morning. Welcome back, Robert. Hey, how you doing, Vince? All right, sir. Yeah, just 
Yeah, um, yeah. Just to preface everything, you know, I consider myself to be a Christian, and also consider myself to be a scientist. And you know, I got to thinking as you're as you're reading that um, article. Uh, you know, how do we persuade people who who maybe don't have uh, religion in their lives? So what's you know, what would be the motivation? And particularly with certain groups, you know, some people are easier maybe to sell than others. Uh, but people who you know come from a more intellectual background, scientific background. Um, maybe a little more challenging. And so, like, um, you know, someone with, with no experience with religion or some people who have maybe a negative experience with religion, that's going to, you know, even be more challenging. But, uh, you know, for me, trying to take the perspective of many of my, you know, my, many of my friends and, and colleagues who may not have religion in their life, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the saying, um, they'll know we're Christian by our love, you know, comes to mind. And so, for me, what doesn't work, I can I can certainly start with that. What doesn't work is the hellfire and brimstone, the oh, yes. judgmentalness, um, the and, and really the bad examples that are out there. That you know, when, when people when people um, think of Christianity, for example, unfortunately, they're thinking of uh, certain people or certain in- institutions or, or groups. Um, and, and so, you know, again, my bias is that I, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. Um, I think that you know when when a when a person who does not have Christianity in their life see that evangelicals like Trump, well, they go, well, I know I don't like Trump, so maybe this Christian stuff is not for me. You know, and you've touched on something. You've really said a lot here. Uh, the most recent thing you've communicated. This has been a concern of mine for quite some time. That what we're putting out is a distraction away from the things that really matter. For instance, you, you, I mean, the most important thing, we're trying to uh, ideally draw people's attention to whom? Jesus, right? So right. if we have to ask the question, and I think everybody has to ask this question, are people more aware of my devotion to my political party and my politics, or are they more aware of my Savior based on what they're getting out of me? And I think, in many ways, the church, this is where we have really uh, gone off the reservation because we've projected something else other than Christ. And, and I'm glad what you said earlier is right on the money. You know that song, the old song, they'll know we're Christians by our love. That, that mm-hmm. is, that's, that's biblical. You know, it's by our love for one another. And I, I, I don't think we demonstrate that very well. That that's really starting place is to uh, tap into the source of that love, which is our relationship with God, and receiving that love, and then sharing that with others. First, the body of Christ, and then others beyond. So, yes, exactly, and that's what other that's what people see. Is yes, people who are not seeing it. That's what they see. That's what they hear. That's what it's that information that persuades. Yeah, and and I would make the argument to you, Robert. It's not information. It's what they sense from us, because we can we can fill people with information all day long. What they need to perceive and recognize from us is that we genuinely love them. And that's probably the starting place where they recognize, well, why does this person love me? There's got to be something there that I don't have, and I'm right. and, and therefore I interested. Information, I think we're agreeing on that. Information yes, for me yes. is not only words that come out of a mouth, but it's, it's how we 
present ourselves. Amen. It's what is sensed, it's what's empirical, what they see, what they hear, what they feel. You know, and you touched on something else that's important, is I think there are too many people out there who have characterized, uh, that think you have to be anti-science. And, and I don't think you have to be, I, I am not anti-science, I'm anti-scientism. And there's a difference there. You know, one is where you've turned religion, turned science into a religion. And uh, therefore, yeah, that's always going to conflict with um, a life of faith. But uh, there's nothing inconsistent between embracing science and embracing the gospel. They, they go together. Agreed. They Agreed. go together. Robert, together we will forge this path forward. <laughs> <laughs> Reason Thank to be you, hopeful. Thank you very much for calling back. <laughs> you too. Uh, Bye-bye. I, I so appreciate talking to just thoughtful people. This is clearly a very thoughtful man who engages these subjects and is concerned about how he lives his own life, which is a very good thing. Still to come on the broadcast, I promise we will get to these monumental issues, the border. It's really at the top of the list for a lot of voters right now. We're going to talk about the latest in the saga that is Texas versus the Biden administration. That is something that we will address coming up. Also, a court ordering Israel to prevent genocide. And the RNC seems to be backing away from something it was trying to push the idea of declaring a presumptive nominee already after only two states. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A lot to cover in this final segment of our Friday broadcast. Really good post here. Text message from Jeff, regular listener. Is the church really even different from the world nowadays? Think about it. The divorce rate among Christians and churchgoers, not any different from the world. I've had my own experience, but I'm not getting into that. I do have to ask, if being a Christian is a crime, is there enough evidence to convict me or you? You know, I have a variation I ask of that question, Jeff. I ask if we're accused of being Christian, is there enough for a grand jury to even indict us? I think that's an even deeper question to even hand over for trial. Just putting that out there. We're thinking along the same lines. Quickly cover a number of things before we go. Texas and the White House. The White House today pushing back hard on Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott's latest shut showdown with Joe Biden over who controls the southern border. In a statement posted on X, Abbott claimed the situation with immigrants crossing to Texas was an invasion. And because Biden had not enforced the law, his state has a constitutional right to self-defense. He says he's going to ignore any federal government effort to remove razor wire Texas had installed along the border with Mexico. Here's Abbott's statement. He's right on here. The federal government has broken the compact between the United States and the states. 
The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states, including immigration laws on the books right now. President Biden has refused to enforce those laws, has even violated them. Result is he has smashed records for illegal immigration. So you heard what the Supreme Court has already ruled on this. They said the feds can remove this razor wire. How far does this go? I don't know. But we're at a point where uh, this is an issue that's not going to go away. And there will be more frustration and more pressure to do something different. In an interim judgment, the United Nations International Court of Justice today ruled Israel must take measures to prevent genocide in Gaza. But it stopped short of ordering an immediate ceasefire in Israel's war with Hamas. The ICJ ruled it has jurisdiction to consider the landmark case brought by South Africa against Israel and rejected Israel's request for the case to be dismissed. Speaking of dismissed, Benjamin Netanyahu putting a statement out slamming the genocide allegation against this country is not only false, but outrageous. So there's that. The RNC floated the idea of declaring Donald Trump as its presumptive nominee. And they seem to have moved back from this. Nikki Haley was one who was obviously not at all pleased with this. And it looks like it's something they're going to avoid for the moment. Before we go, I want to revisit something we talked about the other day, and that was Tim Scott. And by the way, I, I think there's a strong possibility I may be reaching out to Tim Scott over the next few days. Let me just remind you again, and I'm going to make this very clear. I'm not judging Tim Scott, not condemning Tim Scott. I hope to reach out to him because I am very concerned about him and his um, bowing down to Donald Trump. Now, I want you to listen again to what I played the other day because this to me is not a liberal attack. I've listened to Al Sharpton over the years. This guy. Sharpton is a charlatan. Can we all agree on this? But I hear something very different in this criticism that he leveled at Tim Scott for groveling on the stage over Donald Trump. Here, for those of you who may not remember, or maybe you didn't hear this, here's what Al Sharpton had to say about Tim Scott on the stage the other night. Listen up. I think that he will be the nominee, and I think that he's demanding people bow to him. Uh, there are few uh, moments in my life I've been more embarrassed than to watch Tim Scott, uh, who, uh, uh, you know, I know Tim and I are both practicing Christians, but I don't know if he could pray like that to, to the other side. I mean, it was humiliating to watch what Tim Scott did uh, as a sitting senator. Uh, and, and one time it wasn't even, uh, he wasn't even on the script. He interrupted Trump to pay homage. Uh, and uh, so I had to say that because it's bothered me yeah, all he's night. He's doing it right here. 
says, it's just that I love you, Mr. Trump. It's not that oh, I hate Nikki Haley. It's just that I love you from Senator Scott. It's uh, not a good I mean, day in, uh, in, no. in my life to watch Tim do that. I mean, to think that we fought to see people like him, black, become uh, uh, high elected in the South and to do that. He has a right to be a Republican. He has a right to do Donald Trump. But to do it in such a way that uh, is so humiliating mm. was troubling. Let's put it that way. I'm well, be trying to be I as mean, nice as I can. And I think he was very nice in the way he communicated this. Well, enter Sean Hannity, who had Tim Scott on his broadcast the other day. And rather than raising this question, see, this is this is part of what's missing. You know, uh, and, and I learned this as an early Christian, the importance of iron sharpening iron. We need to sharpen each other. And we spend too much time patting each other on the back. And sometimes some friendly questions are what's necessary. I'm not saying you've got to kick Tim Scott in the rear end. But any reasonable person, if Tim, you know, if I saw Tim every day, and right after that appearance, and he walked off that stage, I'd pull him aside and I'd say, Tim, really? Did you have to grovel on the stage like that? That was the question I would ask. Instead, Sean Hannity chose to focus on all of the negative criticism of the fact that people don't like that Tim Scott has endorsed Donald Trump. I don't care about that. I, I'm not excited about that. That's not the issue to me. It's the how. And it's how pathetic that looked on the stage. That's the question that should have been asked. It was turned into a liberal attack. It's not a liberal attack. Here's Tim Scott reacting to the criticism, which I think is really way off base. Listen up. Absolutely. They're vile and disgusting comments coming from the far left. Sean, the most racist in the country are liberals. The bigotry that comes from the far radical left it's just normal these days. Why? Because they're trying not just to attack me, but they're trying to make sure that any other minority who will think for themselves and consider the GOP, they want to send a message to every single one of them. Step out of line and we'll attack you too. That level of intimidation doesn't work with me. And to every single African-American, Hispanic, millennial, anybody in the majority population or minority population, if you believe in conservatism, stand up and be counted. If you want to make America the greatest nation on God's green earth, step into the fire because we have to save this nation. We better save it right now because the radical left, they're so afraid of people like me, people like you, Sean, thinking for ourselves, speaking out and speaking the truth that they will do anything they possibly can to silence well, the truth. But it doesn't work with it me. This? It's not going to work with others. You know, the thing is, I love that, Tim Scott. Everything he said, it's right on the money. It's right on the money. I want to see and hear more of that Tim Scott, not the groveling on the stage and please make me your vice president. If we want to win the future, we've got to have strong, masculine men, not groveling beta males, groveling in front of Donald Trump or anybody else. Enjoy your weekend. God bless you.